Good morning. My name is Kirsten, um, and I run our One Heart Toddlers program here, and I love it. Um, two to four-year-olds are little sponges, and it's a real honour to be able to teach them, um, teach all the ones that we have out there about Jesus and, and his ways. I've got two toddlers, age two and three and a half, um, one on the way, and I've really enjoyed each, each age bracket and each milestone that they've hit. Um, but there's something about like toddlers in particular that just make me want a hundred of them at once and then at the same time, you know, want to put them, the two I have in the bin. But the thing that like just hooks me on toddlers, it's how evil they can be. Like, aren't they nasty? It's just hilarious how vicious um, these little humans can be. A while back, I was um, singing along to worship music at home and my three-year-old said, Ugh, mum, stop singing. And I said to her, well, Jesus likes it when we sing to him. And she's just like, well, I'm telling you, he wouldn't like that. <laughs> Aren't they nasty? <laughs> Brutal little things. Um, yeah, so if you're wondering, we have spaces out on, on team. If you want to come and join our toddler team, be humbled and ridiculed every Sunday, we'd love to have you out there. There's a position for you. All right. Cool. We're just going to jump into the Word. I'm going to read three stories from the Bible today, um, starting at the very start, Genesis chapter 1. So God's creating the world, all the amazing things in it. And then at verse 27, he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And we know that everything that Adam and Eve um, required and needed was in that garden. Um, They had nothing that they lacked. Um, But in this garden, there was also the tree that God asked the two of them not to eat from. And as this well-known story goes on, we know that they were tricked by the serpent and they ended up eating the fruit. Um, And after they ate it, chapter 3, verse 7, the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So after God gave them a clear instruction, Adam and Eve messed up. Um, God would have known that, but he was still trying to seek them out and be with them. But they physically hid from him in the garden. The next story resembles a game of hide and seek as well, but with some different tactics. So in 2 Samuel 11, we read about King David. The backstory is that all the men are out at a battle that was going on, but King David himself had stayed home. So it happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Uriah, the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So there's whoopsies number one. So David called Bathsheba's husband Uriah back from the battle and he um, like, told him, oh, you know, come home. He was trying to get him to go home and spend the night with his wife to cover up the fact that it was David that got Bathsheba pregnant. So picking up at verse nine, but then Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and didn't go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? 
Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go down to my house to eat, to drink and lie with my wife? As long as you and your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David said to Uriah, remain here today and also tomorrow and then I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him. He ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on the couch with the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house. So David's sneaky plan to cover it up failed. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah at the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So that's the next sneaky plan, which was temporarily successful in hiding what David did to a degree. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and he became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. So as I pointed out while we were reading, David did the wrong thing and then attempted in multiple ways and times to hide and cover it up, um, trying to hide what he did. The last person we're going to read about this morning before getting into what we can learn from them um, is the woman of Samaria um, that Jesus met at the well. I'm just going to skim through it um, quickly. So John chapter 4, we read, Jesus is sitting by a well in the middle of the day when a Samaritan woman comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. She says, why are you asking me? Jews don't deal with Samaritans. And the conversation went on and Jesus told her about what he could offer her. Verse 13, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So what you said is true. This leads the woman to believe that Jesus is a prophet. Um, so she says, oh, I've heard about the Messiah that is to come. And Jesus confirms with her, like, yeah, I who you speak to am he. And then says that the woman left um, her water jar and went into the town um, and started spreading the word, come and see a man that told me all I ever did. And then at the end of the chapter, it also says that lots of Samaritans from the town believed because of her testimony. So this whole woman's lifestyle was about hiding. Um, we can think this because for a woman in this era, collecting water alone was uncommon. Um, usually a group would complete that task together. Another reason I'd assume that she's isolating herself is because the middle of the day is the hottest time. So that's not really an ideal time to be going and hooking water out of a well. Um, something like that would normally happen in the cool of the morning. So I think it was intentional that she was going then because she was trying to avoid seeing people. And finally, her response when Jesus asked her to go get her husband um, tells us that she's just trying to keep her current partner on the down low as well. So lots of little things she's trying to hide there. But each of these people that we've just spoken about have all been on the earth at a different time. So Adam and Eve before there was sin and then David before Jesus came and then this woman who was face to face with Jesus. And in all three examples, we see that the step that they take after they've done the wrong thing was to hide um, in one form or another. And yeah, it just made me think, well, why? And I reckon it's because they were entangled by a stronghold of shame. And that stronghold can have its grip on us in the world today as well. So the title of my message is That's a Shame, and which is a common term we use, sometimes with sincerity, other times sarcastically. I've never seen an episode, but I know the guy on Seinfeld used to always say, oh, that's a shame. So a few things to note about shame is that shame is different to guilt. 
shame isn't of God and shame holds us back from the life that God has for us. And I just want to touch on each of those points. So the first one, guilt can actually be a good thing. It can be an indication to ourselves that lets us know, hey, we've done the wrong thing and it might kickstart us into following the process that we need to take to make things right, such as asking for forgiveness or putting what needs to be in place to resolve a situation. It can be a good kickstart up the butt to, you know, get, make us right with God as well. It might be the catalyst. That pro- it propels us towards God. It drives us to be grateful for the fact that, you know, what he did when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Um, it encourages us to seek him out, to ask for forgiveness. And that's just an opportunity to experience God's grace. So guilt is erased when we turn to God. Shame, however, clings to us even after we've repented. It drives division between us and God. It makes us tell ourselves that our failure is a life sentence rather than an opportunity to experience God's grace. So shame is condemnation and it's hopelessness. It tells us that we are bad and that nothing will make us good enough. So where guilt says, I did something wrong, shame says, I am something wrong. Um, Which leads me to the next point, shame isn't of God. Because God paid a high price so that we could walk in freedom. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he died for all of them, the past, present, future. No matter what the size is, we can't outsin his limitless grace. We can't surprise God with how much wrong we can accomplish. His grace is always going to stretch further. We don't have to be able to fully explain this grace to receive it either because the Bible says it's a gift. It was freely given. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, for it is by his grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, this is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So when we become a Christian, we admit to Jesus like we know we've done the wrong thing in our lives. We believe that he went to the cross on our behalf so that we can be released from those wrong things, from the shame of them too. God says in the word that he separates us far from our sins as far as the east is from the west, so we don't need to be still feeling condemned by shame. John 3, 17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And the Bible is God's word. So just those two verses alone tells me that God does not condemn. Shame is condemning, so it's not from God. And then that last point, shame holds us back from the life that God has for us. So if shame isn't from God, where does that come in? Shame is something that the enemy loves to use because he knows that as long as we are focused on it, that there's division between us and God. He lies to us about the character of God, insisting that we need to try and earn the favour of a God that's never going to give it. We are left sitting in darkness rather than embracing the forgiveness and pursuing him with confidence, knowing that we're chosen sons and daughters who have a plan and a purpose in this world. So instead of seeking out um, God and the plan he has for us, we're driven to hide. And that puts limitations on what we allow God to do in our lives because we feel so unable or unworthy. So shame holds us back from our God-given potentials. But thankfully, the main point I want to make today is that we don't have to live under this stronghold of shame. We aren't meant to be living under the burden of shame and that stronghold can be lifted. So the key to breaking the power of shame is knowing if and where and how to hide If we go back to the uh, examples that we read earlier, we can read from them and unpack this. So I'll start with the woman at the well. What does she teach us? I'm glad you asked. 
So as we pointed out, the woman really isolated herself to hide her shame. So excluding the partner who wasn't her husband, it's assumed she probably would have mostly been in the wor- alone in the world with um, like someone of that time having hu- five husbands in the past. Um, so point number one is stay connected. Don't underestimate the importance of fellowship and relationships with others. Don't let your shame keep you isolated. Don't let it prevent you from connecting with other people. Be in church. Be around Christians who can, you can reach out to, who can support you. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens another. We're designed for relationships. So yeah, point one, stay connected to others. As her story went on, the key that helped the woman break the stronghold of shame and come out of her hiding was that she let Jesus minister to her. She believed who he was and she let him declare who she could be. And Jesus wants to minister to us today too. The key to breaking free from the stronghold of shame is knowing who he is and what he says about you. And a great way to learn that is point number two, read his word. That's where you're going to find the truth about Jesus and the truth about who he says you are. So when the devil tries to connivingly come and whisper in your ear that you'll never be forgiven or that you'll never measure up or that you'll never be freed from um, the shame that's in your life and the things that you've done, that you can stand firm on the truths you've been reading to yourself in his Bible, like Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So know the word so that you can easily identify the devil's lies. All right, we'll jump to King David. So, yeah, like I said before, David took matters into his own hands. He tried to cover up um, things. And I think the root of his reasoning was because of pride. So another key in eliminating shame is to ensure we monitor the pride that's in our hearts by making sure we remain humble, point three. Uh, Knowing that we're all humans who fail and can only get through this life with the help of Jesus is a place that we need to come to. At Awaken Night the other week, um, Penny shared communion and she spoke from a place that lots of us find ourselves in um, where we're trying to muster something up to bring to the table but feel like we don't even have scraps to put out. But God responds to that heart and he says that, hey, I've already lined the table. Like, you don't need to bring anything because I bring it all to the table. So when we walk in humility, and that's walking in humility, not walking in shame, We can eliminate the pride that keeps us from wanting to cover things up like David did. Um, Around the time that King David had done these wrong things um, and then tried to hide the wrong thing by doing another wrong thing, all the wrong things, he said this in Psalm 23, verse 3 and 5, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David came to the conclusion that in order to prevent guilt from turning into shame and causing more harm in his life, he needed to confess it. Point four is acknowledge your failings to God. There's so much freedom when we bring what's in darkness to the light. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the key to being cleansed from all unrighteousness and receiving the freedom it brings is to acknowledge the struggles that we're having and to God and believe that God does not condemn you. I might just get the music team to to join me again as we come to our last point, please. So the last points revealed to us through the story of Adam and Eve 
Reading Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 once more, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Point five is be in God's presence. Adam and Eve chose to hide from God's presence, but to break free from the power of shame in our lives, we need to dive into God's presence. This is where we should hide not away from God or refusing to engage with him because we don't feel worthy enough to step into his presence. But we need to intentionally seek him and his presence daily. In God's presence, that's where healing, forgiveness, growth, reconciliation can come. It's through time spent with Jesus, letting him minister to our hearts that shame can be replaced with his peace, with his joy, with his strength and the truths that he says about us. So even though Adam and Eve retreated in the garden, God was looking for them. He was wanting to be in relationship, in connection with them. And that's the same with us. He's always ready and eager to engage with us. Psalm 139 verse 7 to 10 says, But where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed down in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And that makes it clear. His presence isn't hard to find. Um, It's a source that is so available to us. And all we have to do is respond. So this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes taking some time to be in his presence just while we search our own hearts for anything that, you know, may have resonated with you through this message today. And I'm just believing for breakthrough in people's lives as we do that, just complete freedom from shame, doesn't matter how long it's been there, if it's been a week, if it's been years, God can free you from that. But before we do do that, I just want to take a minute now um, to give anyone the opportunity, if they haven't done so before, to start on their journey with Jesus. Um, As I've said today, Jesus wants to be in your world and have relationship with you. I've come across lots of people who sadly believe that they're too far gone or that They're not holy enough to be a Christian, but that's kind of the point. None of us are. We're all broken people. Um, And us coming to Jesus, admitting that is, and asking him to make up our lack is the key. Um, So if this is you, um, and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, then we're excited to be part of that with you. Um, A prayer is going to come up on the screen, and I'd just love for us all to read it together. So, dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose again to forgive my sins. I ask that you forgive me. I give you my life and ask you to be my Lord and Saviour. Today I am born again. I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that, pray that for the first time today. Um, Yeah, come and see me after. I'd love to help you with your next steps of your journey and help you um, direct you on this amazing decision that you've made. So I also just want to pray for anyone today um, who's just heard this message and resonated with it, anyone who might be struggling to raise their hands in worship because they feel so burdened by, I I couldn't possibly after what I've done. Um, Someone who who couldn't possibly turn to Jesus and pray to him because they feel as though like they're so um, disconnected and unworthy. Or even you might have struggled to walk into church this morning because of the vice that shame has on your life. We just are going to believe that those chains are going to fall off as we stand in God's presence today in worship. 
Um, if you'd like someone to pray with you specifically, you're welcome as we worship in a minute to, to come up the front and our ministry team would love to pray with you. Um, but let's all stand and I'm just going to pray and then we'll worship. So thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to free us from shame. Thank you that you're not limited by our shame and that you don't want us to be held back by it. I pray that if there's anyone here today, God, that, that feels un, overcome by the shame that's built up in their life, that they're going to experience the freedom from you as we seek you today. We just thank you for your presence that's here and pray that we're not going to leave this place the same, Jesus. In your mighty name.